We're going to be in Romans chapter 5. We ended up last week in chapter 4. We talked about the justification by faith. And today we're going to graduate. We're going to go from elementary school to high school. All right. The first four chapters of Romans are all elementary things. They're basic Christian beliefs. And uh, they have to do with justification. They have to do with our sin. They have to do with uh, the acceptance of God for us. But today I want to take you farther uh, into the Christian life. Unfortunately, too many people stop right here in chapter 4 with your living. You uh, understand that God has done some things for you. You believe you're saved. You know that you are forgiven. You know that you're bound for heaven. But you have stopped there in your life. And I want you to know, Paul writes to us and God tells us there's more than that. There's more than just believing. Let's stand together. We're going to read a couple of verses, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. And then we'll get on down into the chapter in a little bit. But the first two verses say this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today in every heart that is here. And Lord, take us to the next level of the Christian life today. Show us how to get there. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Paul mentions here that we need to mature, that we need to grow. There's probably a more famous text about that very thing uh, up on the screen, if you would. Go there with me. Russell, you might have to make it move the first time. It's not wanting to mind. Hebrews chapter 6 says this, therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection and the judgment. The writer of Hebrews says, let's move on, let's press on he says. And so we need to do the same. I want to encourage you today to how to face life with your faith. What God's given you in your life and what he wants you to have are two different things. He's given you something to face life as a Christian person and to continue on with that life. After all, uh, we all have received that peace with God, have we not? Verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We all have that peace with God. We know that we're His children. We have access to God. We know that He hears us when we pray. And we know that we hear Him when He speaks to us. We all have that. Amen. Justification. We have peace with God. We have access to God. And then we have the hope of God in eternal life. It's not a hope I make it hope. It's a hope that is certain in what God has said about eternal life for us. Now we all possess that. As that was given to you at your birth. When you became a Christian. You were at peace with God. You had access to God. And you had hope in God. Go back with me in your mind. Just for a moment. To that day. When you asked Christ into your life. You can remember it can't you? And all of a sudden. All of the things of your past. All of the problems. All of the hurt. All of the attempts to be righteous on your own just faded away when you realized that you were now at peace with God. He had forgiven you. 
you are his child. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that? Man, I'll never forget it. I needed that life change. And God came into my life and he brought me peace. I remember the first time that I really prayed and I knew he was listening. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember when you prayed to him and you knew that he was hearing you and that you heard what he said in response to you? Do you remember that day? Do you remember the first time after you were saved when you sang the song, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And you knew it was real. Amen? Do you remember that? Not many of you remember those things. I'm sorry for you. Okay? Some of you were nodding your head. I remember, but some of you were not. That's who I'm preaching at today. I'm preaching at the people who don't have that assurance, who don't have that security, who don't have that peace with God. Paul wants you to have that. He says in our text, there's more to life than just believing in Jesus Christ. There's more to life than having access to God. There's more to life than the hope of eternal life in heaven. There is life now. I want you to think about this. How did we acquire all of those things? Peace with God, access to God, and the hope in God. How did we acquire those? The Bible tells us it was through our Lord Jesus Christ. And get this, it was through his death that I got those things. It was through his death that I have now peace with God. I'm not an enemy of God's anymore. I'm not at war with God because his son died to pay for my sin debt. I now have access to God. I can enter into the throne room of God in my prayer life. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus covering me. You see that? It's his death that has given me all of these things. And so those three things are really about my existence in heaven. God has forgiven me that I can have eternal life. God has covered me with the blood that I can enter into heaven. God has given me that hope because of Jesus dying in my place of the hope of eternal life, all done by his death. But you know what? He's not in the grave, is he? So if I got all of that because of his death, surely, surely I got something because of his resurrection. Amen? I want you to see what that is. Let's look down here in verse 8 for a moment. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more. Much more. Get that part. Much more than him dying for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's more than just believing in Jesus Christ. There's more than having access to God in your prayer life. There's more than hoping about eternal life in heaven. There is life here to be lived. If I got all those things from his death, his death 
saved me from the penalty of sin. His life, his resurrected life now saves me from the power of sin. What is it to mature as a Christian? What is it to press on? What is it to grow in Christ? What is it to move forward into maturity? I come to a realization about something in my Christian life. There is a power that is within me that I never possessed before. It is not my power. It is not of me. It is from Him to me. It is Him in me. That's the power of growing in Christ and maturing in Christ and continuing on in Christ and being effective as a Christian in Christ. Now, I know that all of you, I would hope, are not afraid of death because you know where you're going. You've done the big three, right? You've got access, you've got hope, and you've got uh, Jesus Christ in the... I already forgot the big three. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. He has given us those things. And some of you are not afraid to die because you possess that. But some of you are, if you admit it, you're weary of this old world. And you're weary of this life that you're living as a Christian. You're tired. You're bored. You've become lazy. In Christianity, you become restless, you become useless. You find that even though you are alive, you're really dead. Why? Because you haven't matured. You haven't graduated from the elementary things into the greater things of Christ. You believe the big three, believing in him, hoping in him, access to him, but you don't have any power. You don't have any grace. You don't have any umption in you, unction in you. You don't possess that. You're not afraid to die, but you are dead while you walk today as a Christian. I want to help you get out of that. I want to help you overcome that. I want to help you to press on. And it's not me. It's God through the Apostle Paul. And I'm just relaying a message that is right here in front of you to read for yourself. Paul shows us how to do this. Look in verse 12 as we go on through the chapter. Let's read verse 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. I believe the key to those three verses is found in the last verse. Death reigned. Death reigned reigns over you and I. Death reigns over us. Paul says it. God says it and Paul recorded it. Now, these are people who are really apart from Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, I'm a Christian, Brother Clay. Yes, but you haven't grown into Christ. You haven't matured. 
You've been on the road for 40 years as a Christian, but you've only gone this far. God wants you to take leaps and bounds on the road of Christianity. He wants you to overcome this world. He wants you to live above this world while you live in this world. He doesn't want you to be affected by this world. He wants you to be effective in the world. Amen? So there's a part here that we all need to get a hold of. Death reigned over us. And guess what? It still reigns over our world right now. You can look on the news. You can see it everywhere. You see people who are in despair. You see people searching for truth. You see all of that. That's called the wrath of God in Romans chapter 1. Not lightning bolts upon man. God simply removing himself. Allowing the consequences of sin to take their effect. And what we read last week, that destroys a society. Sin destroys men. Sin disintegrates men. Sin dissolves men into nothingness. But God wants better for you, Christian. He wants you to be above and beyond that. And so, perhaps you are here today, yourself, with a growing awareness of the emptiness of your life. But you're a Christian, right? But you're a walking dead Christian. You haven't moved on past where God would have you to be. Now, we didn't come by this on our own. We inherited this death. We inherited this from Adam, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We got this death from our father, Adam. Thanks, buddy. Right? But wait a minute, that verse says we sinned as well, so now we can't blame Adam. We all have sinned, and we all have this death reigning in our life. He goes on there in verse 14. Let me help to clarify this for you. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. What is he saying there? That even though a child does not deliberately sin against God, death still reigns over him. The offense that Adam sinned with was God said, don't eat that fruit off that tree in the middle of that garden. The sin was that Adam deliberately disobeyed God's word and he took of the fruit. Amen? So he deliberately sinned against God. A little child doesn't deliberately sin against God, but because he inherited the sin nature of Adam, death reigned over that child. And death reigns over every one of us in this room if it's not taken care of. Death reigned. That's the key to those verses that we read just there. It's our life story. Death reigns over us. I want you to go back with me in, the, in your mind's eye to Genesis chapter uh, 3. 
And Eve is in the garden, and she's hungry, and she's walking, and she makes her way towards the middle of the garden. And all of a sudden, the serpent is there, and he starts to tempt her about the fruit on that tree that God said don't eat. And you know what? She looked at it, and it was luscious looking. And she had a growling stomach. And she thought, maybe, just maybe, there is some fascination to this fruit that I'm not allowed to have and there's some mystery to it and all I have to do is just reach out and take it because the devil said it will make me like God and I'll be wise and I'll know things and so there is mystery involved there is fascination involved and you know what we look at Eve and we can't blame her because every one of us have done the same thing if I just tried it this one time to see what happens and we fall into sin what happened after she did it well she gave it to her husband and he ate it and then what happened they were hiding from God that's what sin does to man it makes us hide from God and so they hid in the garden tried to cover their nakedness with leaves God called to them said where are you and they said we're hiding because of this and that and so you know what shame and guilt pour in when we commit sin. I would venture to say this, that if there was a hole in the ground and Adam could have got in it, he would have crawled in that hole and covered himself up to get away from the holy God. And you know what? You and I are the same way. Why don't people come to church? Because of the sin in their life. They don't want to confront it. They don't want to deal with it. And they certainly don't want to come and hear about it. They don't want to come and be convicted of it or feel the guilt of it. And so they stay away. They hide from God. They hide from church. And you and I are the same. We've all committed sin that brought shame into our life. We all committed sin. Oh, nobody knows about it but you. But it still brought shame and anguish to your life because you did it. Then we look at Cain and he killed his brother. All because of a remark from God about God accepting Abel's offering and not accepting Cain's. So because of that, what rose up in Cain to kill his brother? I'm telling you, death reigned from Adam to Moses to today. Cain killed his brother. Now we go to the Genesis uh, chapter 7 or 8, I think, or 9, somewhere in there, and we look at the Tower of Babel. And these men wanted to gather up and build a great city. And then they wanted to build a tower that reached to heaven. And we think, well, they were just trying to get up to God. No, they weren't trying to get up to God. They were trying to be equal with God. They were trying to find happiness in this life without God by building a great city and a tower into heaven. So God came down confused their language because he knew that it was going to go bad for these people. So he separated them to get them away from each other, hoping that it might save them from the selfish, proud lifestyle that they were beginning to live. Now you look at that Tower of Babel and you look at our uh, country today and we are any worse, any better, are we the same? Death reigns over man. It cannot be stopped. We cannot fix it. We cannot turn it off. It's just a fact of life. And there's nothing that we can do to stop it. But look in verse 17. 
I'm sorry, verse 15. Let's stop there first. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. All right? The free gift, I've got to catch up with my slide. Here we go. Where am I at? <laughs> Here we go, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, being Adam, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Did you see that much more in there again? Much more. God wants to show you how you can face life today and you can face death with your faith. You don't have to succumb to it. You don't have to fall for it. You don't have to remain dead as a Christian walking around in a dead man's body. You can live life to the full. You can have the things that God wants you to have. You can experience life as a Christian and the power and the effectiveness of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at verse 17 and 18 and 19. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteousness. Wow, that is complicated, is it not? Did you lose yourself there in the middle of those three verses? I almost do reading it over and over again. Let me just simplify it for you. Paul is making a contrast between the old life and the new life. Paul is saying there is a difference. There is a, a unique difference in the old life and the new life. The old life produces corruption, emptiness, restlessness. And who hasn't experienced that? The old life produces corruption, restlessness, and emptiness. All of those things then are exhibited or manifested or shown by lust. Sinful lust in our life. Cruelty, jealousy, anger, bitterness, hatred, resentment, gossip, laziness. Now let me ask you this question. Did any of you have to go to school to learn how to do those? Did we have to go to school to learn how to gossip or how to be resentful? Or how to be hateful or bitter? No, we didn't. Why? Because we inherited those things. We come by them naturally. We don't have to be taught how to do that. We have to be instructed on how to overcome those things. And that's the point of this chapter of you graduating from high school, I mean from elementary school to high school. But now listen, God has found a way to bring the, this old life to an end God can fix it. God can do away with that old man and give you a new man. And how do I get that, Brother Clay? When you learn how to allow Jesus to indwell you and to take over your life. I have talked to, I cannot even count or even remember a number of the people that I've talked to about becoming a Christian. And they want to do the big three, believe, access and hope 
But when it comes to allowing Jesus to take over, that's where they stop. They can't wrap their head around that. They don't want to wrap their head around that. They've been in charge all of their life. And to step aside and let someone else take over my life? But I want you to understand something. That's the key. Because death is reigning in you. And unless something happens to remove that old man and that old death life that you're living out of the way and let new life come in, you will remain under the death reign in your life. You can't fix it. You can't break away from it. Oh, Jesus can do it. Jesus is more powerful than the devil. He certainly can overcome that situation in your life. He can show you how to be the person you need to be. You can become as good under Jesus as you are bad under yourself. Did you get that? It's as easy to be good under Jesus as it is to be bad under yourself. It is as easy to forgive someone under Jesus as it is to hold resentment for that person under yourself. You say it's easy, Brother Clay, but it's not. It is because Jesus can do it. Jesus did it. He lived that life. And now he wants to come and relive his life in your body. That means you disconnect from everything. Can I get an amen? You disconnect from everything. And Jesus comes and sits on the throne. And he takes the controls out of your hands. And he starts making the decisions of your life. You say, well, that's just silliness. Yep. The cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. So you have to deconnect from everything and let Christ sit on the throne. That's called being born again. That's not called getting the big three and then sitting back and waiting for the gospel ship to come and take you home. I believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. I have access to God. The devil has access to God. I hope for heaven. The devil hopes that he might go to heaven. Okay? The devil has the big three. But he doesn't have eternal life with God because he hasn't allowed Jesus to sit on the throne of his heart. He's too proud and he won't do it. Just like many people, untold numbers of people I have talked to about becoming Christians. Amen? Are you one of those? You got the big three, but you haven't matured into the life of Christ. You haven't allowed him to take charge of your life. You haven't removed yourself and allowed him to sit on your throne. Verse 20 shows us how we try to get there to heaven. Look in verse 20. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. The law came in that the transgression might increase. Now look on the screen. The law. I make rules for my life. I'm become a Christian and there's some things I'm not going to do anymore by my hand. There's some things that I'm going to do by my hand. I begin as a Christian to make rules. Or I make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose weight this year. 
right? I'm going to stop eating all that stuff and I'm going to lose weight or or I'm going to get more active or I'm going to begin to work out. Those are all resolutions and some of people call them turning over a new leaf. I'm going to turn over a new leaf this year. You know what all of those things are? Law. They're rules. They're law. The law, it says in verse 20, came in so that the transgression might increase. So instead of me adding laws and getting better, I actually add law to my life and I get worse. And I get worse and I get worse because I put myself under rules and I think that that's going to help me. But it actually gives me more opportunity to break the rules and to realize that I can't keep the rules. I'm almost laughing about our legislature on the government United States level and the state level. I mean, there are more rules being made over and over and over every year. More rules, more rules, more rules so we can have justice. And justice keeps flying out the window with all of these rules. Now, do you see what he's saying there? The law came in that the transgression might increase. I read a sermon about, uh, that uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote about this very topic. And he used an illustration that he went to Italy to visit. And his accommodations were a little hut outside of the city center there in Italy. And so he moved his stuff in and unpacked his baggage. And he looked around the room and it was quaint and nice and clean. But he looked down at the floor and it was horrendous. It was filthy, dirty. He could not believe that that floor was so dirty. So he went and got the people in charge and they sent a lady over there to clean the floor. And she brought a bucket of water and soap and she began to get on her knees and she began to scrub on that floor. And the more she scrubbed, the worse it got. And finally Spurgeon realized this place doesn't have a floor. It's dirt. They built this place on dirt. And so he told her to stop and leave the room. And he used that as an illustration. The law is to be a cleansing agent for you and I, isn't it? Don't we make laws so that we can do good and do right? And yet the more laws that we make and the more we scrub ourselves with this soapy water of law, the dirtier we become. Because we can't keep them. Why? Because death reigns over us. We can't break that. We can't get away from it. Something has to change. Something must transpire for us to be better. Now, I'll grant you that laws are good. We need laws. I might feel like driving 90 miles an hour down 76 highway, but the speed limit says 65. Why? Because it's for safety of other people. But I don't feel like driving 65. I want to drive 90. Then I'm going to get a ticket. Amen? Or when I come to a four-way stop sign, I don't feel like stopping, so I just go on through. I might kill someone doing that. So laws are there to help us live together. But they do not change the fact that I want to drive 90 and that I don't want to stop. Laws cannot change my heart. It cannot change me on the inside. The law of God cannot change you. The law simply addresses the outward sign of the sin in our life. Something has to address the inward 
sin in my life. Something has to change within me. Something has to be transformed within me to get rid of the desire to drive 90 miles an hour down a 65 road. Something must change within me not to want to run a stop sign at a four-way stop. Do you see that? Something must change and transpire in us. And so we look in verse 20, And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more or much more. How is that possible? Let me tell you this. The life of Jesus is more powerful, much more powerful than the life of Adam. Jesus came and lived the life of the law to perfection. I cannot, you cannot, in order for death to be removed from me, he's got to come in and take over. He's got to live his life again, again in my body, in my desires, in my will, in my bones, in my emotions. The Son of God must come and indwell me and live his life over again in my body. That's called being born again. That's what Paul is writing to us about. Christ's life is more powerful than Adam's. You and I cannot stop the Adam that is within us. But God found a way to get rid of that Adam. And God wants to give you a new life. And he wants it to be in Jesus. Jesus in you. So, what happens? When men look at you, they don't see you anymore. They see Jesus. It's as easy for you to forgive someone under Jesus as it was for you to hate them under yourself. You say, that's impossible. I can't forgive that person. You don't know because you don't have Jesus reigning in your life. You're making the decision. You're making the determination. You don't know what that person did to me. It doesn't matter. They didn't do to you what those people did to Jesus. I'll guarantee you that. And he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Let me give you uh, an example. Uh, I'm going to pretend that this is uh, my old life, all right, this glove. And, and, and I, want this, I want this glove to pick up this Bible. Come on, glove, pick it up. You can do it. I, I know you can. I, I, I'm, I've, I've seen you before. You're physical, you're in shape, you can do it. You can do it, glove. Come on, pick it up. And you say, well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? It is ridiculous. I know what's wrong. I haven't educated the glove. I haven't shown it how to pick up the Bible. Well, here's what you do, glove. You put these fingers under this edge, and then you put this thumb over here, and you get a tight grip like that, and you wrap yourself around it, then you just pick up the Bible. Come on, pick it up. Pick it up. Y'all know the answer, right? You know what has to be done. Of course you do. Life has to be put into this glove. You see, death was reigning over this glove. It exists, but it's dead. It has nothing because death reigns in its life. But suddenly, life comes into this glove, and it fills this glove. And now I say, glove, pick up the Bible, and guess what? It picks up the Bible. Amen? You see, that's what happens 
with Jesus in you. There's things you cannot do as a human being. You can't do it. But Jesus in you can do it. There's people in your life you can't forgive and you won't forgive. But Jesus in you can forgive them and will forgive them. It's that simple, church. It's that easy to understand. It's that way. Matthew, I'm, I'm sorry, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 are all about you and I maturing into Christ and growing in Jesus Christ. We got all of that because of his death, the big three. But because of his life, we get to live life and we get to face this world with life. Paul had it right in Philippians chapter 4. He said this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you disconnect and you let Jesus take over your life and make all the decisions and, and you say, well, how far do I go? Let him decide what color of socks you're going to wear tomorrow. That's how far you go. All right? And you say, well, that's, that's silly. It is sounding silly until you see how good of a designer he is. <laughs> okay? Let him decide for you every detail of your life. Should I call this? Should I do that? Should I say this? Should I go there? And as you do that, you know what? Jesus takes over. And as Jesus takes over, people see Jesus and they don't see you. And as people see Jesus in you, then they begin to ask you about Jesus in you. And you get to share with them the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you become an evangelist and a witness for Jesus. Amen. Listen to me. Anything that God wants you to do, you can do it. Anything he demands you to do, you can do it because it's Jesus doing it in you, not you. Anything that he would have you to do. Let me ask you this question. Is he living in you like that today? Is Jesus in charge of you? Have you grown into maturity? Have you overcome this world? Are you doing the things that God would have you to do through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Next week, we're going to be in chapter 6. I want to challenge you, church, today to go home and read Romans 6. It's just got 23 verses in it. Every day until next Sunday. Read it every day until next Sunday so when we come back and talk about it, you will know all about it. You will understand what I'm saying to you next week. There's more to life than believing in Jesus, having access to Jesus, and hoping of eternal life in heaven. There's more. You got all of that from his death. What have you gotten from his life? Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Some of you earlier when I said that you might be experiencing meaningless in your life right now, I saw some serious concerns across this room. Right now would be a good time for you to take care of that and come to this altar and ask him to take the reins of your life and take charge. Now, if you come, that doesn't mean that's why you're coming this morning. You might be coming to pray for a family member that needs to give up the reign in his life. I got some of those. Amen? Amen. Can I get a witness? You got family members that need to give up the reign of their life? I do. Do I always give up the reign of my life? No. I try to take them back. 
I want to run for a while. I want to be in charge for a while. But you know, when I start heading off the cliff, I'm ready to, <laughs> here, Jesus, take them back. Amen. And he'll take them back and he'll steer you into safety. Maybe you just need to give him the reins back today in your life. Whatever the reason is, I want you to understand, we gained a lot from his death, but we gain much more from his life. Let's pray. Father, bless this moment in your church. And Father, help us to overcome our anxious desires and our wants and the things that we know are not of you. And I pray that you give each person the courage to give up their reign and put it into your life, put it into your hands, and that you take over. I pray for my family. I pray for my nation of people. I pray for the United States. I pray for the world. Lord, I know the end is near. I know your judgment is upon us. I see you pulling back away from America. Father, don't leave us. Don't forsake us. Stay in touch with us, Lord. Save somebody today. Do something today, God, to glorify your name, even in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <music> you.